0: What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, an old friend, Jay Powell. Hey Brandon, it's good to be back, man. All right, man. Uh, This is the part of the podcast where I ask our guests, which is yourself, a little bit about yourself. Where you've been, where you at, where you're heading, uh, before we get
1: into it. So, where I've been? Oh... 25 years on the business side of games. Um, so a bit of a background. I started out as an agent, did some of the very first publishing deals for Paradox and Hymont, the People Can Fly, Starberries, uh did that for a little while. Then we transitioned that into a casual game publisher, which I ran the acquisitions and built the distribution network for. Uh, did that for about three more years and Left to start a, what we would now call a production firm, but a production studio, but back then no one knew what that was. So developers thought we were publishers and publishers thought we were developers and we were truthfully just in the middle coordinating everything. Um, Did that for three years and then I founded the Powell Group. And so... There's two sides of my world now. One is the Powell Group consulting side, which, you know, we do everything from helping developers find publishers to scouting games for publishers and investors and doing audits on projects. Basically, if it revolves around the business side of the industry, we do something with it. Um, but then my pride and joy is indie game business, which we started Lord, probably five years ago. At this point, um, just had years of frustration with no one teaching developers how to do business and finally just said, OK, never mind, I'll do it myself. And with the help of Dan, a.k.a. Indy on Twitch, we started a small little Twitch channel that every week we sat down and did interviews or sessions or Q&As talking about the business, the marketing, the licensing side of things. Uh, and then that grew into a big Discord channel. Uh, We've got like close to 6,000 industry professionals in that now. Uh, And we turned the Twitch channel into a podcast, which made everything even bigger. And so now we stream every week on YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn and Facebook, plus it's live on our Discord. But the big thing is every single session we've ever done every conference session every um podcast you know with experts in the industry it's all 100% free we don't lock anything behind a vault or something like that you just go to our youtube page and if you want to learn about business marketing licensing how to build a pitch deck all of that stuff is right there and it's it's free um, and then we also started like early 2019 we started doing digital conferences before anyone really knew what that was and coming up we've got our 15th one on the way so it's been busy basically
0: well it definitely sounds busy uh, i think you know having the the foresight that you had back then um where conferences were mostly a physical affair and, and then they're turning it digital and and the pandemic kind of really accelerated that um people are more used to getting information quicker uh having kind of like a thirst for knowledge being the only ticket necessary to get in uh and you know it, it's great to kind of hear the success that you guys are having um what what have been like the main conversation pieces uh you know just kind of being the 15th conference that you guys are, are throwing together what what hasn't kind of been the recurring theme or at least trending theme that a lot of these uh speakers are are, are wanting to talk about
1: no matter how many times we do this topic at the end of every conference somebody asks us to do it again and that's the quintessential how to find a publisher Conference, you know, talk or session or, or anything around that never gets old. I mean, that's you know we've constantly got new publishers coming into the mix, new genres and business models popping up. But every single time we do a conference, there is going to be a session entitled "How to Find a Publisher." Um, so a lot of what we do, especially on the education side like that, has. I'm not going to say gone completely in that direction, but we do lean in that direction. Like every Thursday on the discord, we do live pitch reviews with, we bring in, you know, scouts and and folks that work in the industry and developers can share their pitch deck or even just hang out and watch somebody else's pitch deck. And we go through it live and say, okay, look, this is good. This is where you need some work. You should add a slide that has this in it. All of that sort of stuff, you know, with, The growth of digital in the pandemic and afterwards, it's, you know, the gates have been opened, so to speak. And there's so many more games being pitched to publishers. We have mid-tier publishers that are seeing 3,000 pitches a year come in. So it's gotten very, very competitive. And so developers are always interested in... Finding out how they can make sure that they have everything or get a little bit of an edge. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Joshua Garrity, who's the head scout over at Secret Mode on. And we just did a Q&A one Friday afternoon on what publishers are looking for. Our podcast generally runs an hour. That one ran an hour and 45 minutes because we had so many questions coming in from, from developers. So I would say if there's one thing that stays constant... That is absolutely it,
0: right? Well, so instead of um, so these conferences are you are you running it like every quarter it seems or
1: Uh, at least three a year? Three. We we did four a year like during lockdown, Uh, and then last year I think we we used to do them. For for a while, we did them in March, June, September, and December. And when June came around last year, that was right about the time everybody was so excited. It's like, you know people go back to GDC and the live events were starting back up again. And we could just tell that there wasn't going to be a lot of activity if we held a June event. And so we bumped it to September, and it was really a reaffirming process because the minute we announced, it's like, Hey, look, we're just going to, we're not canceling anything. We're just moving this June event to September because right now everybody is so excited to be back out in the real world. Everybody's going to these things. Everybody's going to these live events. And I got so many emails from all around the world from developers saying, Please don't stop doing these. You know these are our only opportunities to meet with publishers, and that's truthfully the reason we started doing them. You know, years ago because GDC is expensive. I mean, you're looking at if you're going to be out there for a week with one or two people, it's ten thousand dollars spend. Gamescom is a little more affordable, but it's still expensive. You have so many studios all around the world, Southeast Asia, South America, I mean, even North America, Western Europe. Now we're seeing a lot of growth come out of Africa, the Middle East. They can't afford to spend 10 grand and and fly out halfway around the world for these meetings. And so opening this digital space and allowing, you know, them to have that same opportunity to meet with publishers and investors and marketing firms and, you know, all the folks that are generally at the big conferences, there's a gigantic need for that. And so we haven't stopped. I told them even then, I'll say, don't worry, we're going to continue to do this. We're just bumping it a little bit until everybody gets over the excitement of being able to get on an airplane again. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's the... That's the big thing we do it to make sure everybody you know out there has a good chance of of being successful
0: are these these uh have the the needs and the the challenges of of getting a publisher what have been what has changed or remained the same is just people having these game ideas that they want financed supports what stages are you seeing the successes that You know, these relationships are are going after a conversation are usually publishers needing to see like a pitch video or halfway through development. What what are the like the recurring theme that you're seeing? Like, you know. To be safe, this is where you should be before you even talk to a publisher. The,
1: The days of selling a paper pitch, unless you are an extremely successful team already, are pretty much over. Um, even you know teams that have shipped titles before, they need to produce a prototype or a vertical slice or a demo or something playable. There's no like sweet spot in there. Just, there needs to be something tangible that the publishers and investors can see before they're going to sign off on anything. Um, that and it takes longer now to do publishing deals in some cases than it used to. Prior to the pandemic, for the first 20 years of my career, we could almost bank, no matter what changed in the industry, you were looking at about a three-month process from the time you sent the information to the publisher to the time the contract was signed. Now that is closer to four months, if not a little more than four months, depending on who it is. And part of that is because there is so much stuff for the publishers to go to. When we do scouting for these publishers, and investors, it's not because they aren't seeing enough games. Nearly every time someone comes to us, it's because they're seeing too much and they need help, you know, weeding out and cutting through a lot of it or going out and finding very specific types of games that they want to look at. There's still far more publisher opportunities out there than a lot of developers realize. Um, it's dropped a little bit. We do the publisher list every single year. Um Shameless plug, go to our website. It's right there. Download it. It's free. Nothing to it. Um, originally, we did that. It was like 700 publishers several years ago. It's down to about 550 now. So we're seeing publishers come and go. But generally, the fluctuation is on the mobile side more than the PC console side. Um so there's still a lot more options out there than a lot of developers realize. Um, you do now have to have a demo before you get before you can realistically get a deal. Uh, but aside from that, it's still a lot of the same. It there's no sweet spot on financials. I mean, there are companies that are looking to spend less than fifty thousand dollars. There are publishers out there who won't spend less than $10 million. So no matter what budget range you're in, there is a publisher fit for you. That part hasn't really changed. There's still a ton of options, but the biggest thing is that you pretty much have to have a, a demo or something showable that the publishers and investors can play now before they'll sign off on, on funding deals. With so many
0: options, uh, so many tools available. uh, The idea of making games feels easier, right? But um you know, with that comes with a lot of choices, a lot of uh you know, paralysis, analysis, analysis paralysis, right? Um how how I have this theory that I feel like even though these technically it, it's easier to make games in a way it feels like it's actually harder as well because of you know, the competition uh but also, I also feel like the ideas are not as, I don't know, fleshed out because of how easy it is to just jump right in and do something. Um, so it feels kind of like a, a sea of averages.
1: I, I I would say, yes, in many ways, it is easier to make a game now. I mean, you've got things that the tool sets in Unity and Unreal have, you know, progressed so far, you know, you can literally go in and get things off the asset store and mock up at a complete demo, but that makes it, it's that much harder to make something that's good. It's like, you know, the big question everybody's asking now is like, well, can I make a complete game with AI? I'm sure you can. It's not going to be good and you're not going to get a publisher for it, but can you do it? Yes. You know, can a solo developer on their own make a game today? Yes, they can. Is it going to be good enough to get published? Most likely not. You know, and so that's part of a lot of the the mediocrity and a lot of the stuff that we see, you know, coming through, you know, both our own scouting stuff and, and from publishers and at conferences as well. It's more important than ever for developers to understand how their game is different you know a a we used to use the phrase unique selling point but it is extremely difficult to come up with a you truly unique selling point these days but you know have that thing that sets you apart from everybody else um because yes it is in many ways it is easier to make a game these days but that doesn't mean it's going to be good
0: yeah there's a, I, I always kind of relate it back to, to music I'm not a musician I barely sing, but i'm just saying like it it in theory I feel like everyone can just put together technically a song right but very few can be popular very few can make it through the market very few artists actually make it to the top um i I feel like in this period of game making we're hitting similar um similar barriers of entry right the the barriers of entry are are lower than ever right but like you said to 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 make something actually good has gotten a lot tougher yeah. um and it all draws from the experiences of the developer which is each to their own very unique but very few are actual s- they're actually trying to say something, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because yeah, I, I mean, there is a lot of crap out there right now. It, uh,
1: there is. And and but that's part of that is also building on iteration, you know? And one thing I tell investors all the time is yes, you can turn around and predict what the stock market's gonna do for Activision or EA or Ubisoft or you know one of these one of the big AAA studios or companies. But those companies aren't innovative. They're not ever going to be innovative. They have an objective to their shareholders to make money. And so whenever it comes down to true innovation in the industry, that's where indie developers and indie games come in because they're the ones going out there and taking the risk on stuff. If you look at almost every major genre that has evolved in the last, five, 10 years, it has come and been born of some sort of indie game, you know, somebody who was doing something different that wasn't like everybody else. And because their only objective was to keep themselves happy and make sure they had enough money coming in for them and not like an entire board of shareholders and all this other stuff, they were able to do that. And so the I think the phrase that we're looking for is the barrier of entry is lower, but the barrier of success is much higher. Um, but the way that you do that isn't by doing another Metroidvania that doesn't really separate itself from Hollow Knight or Celeste or something like that. It's doing something that very few people, if anyone, has done before or doing it in a you know more unique way or with a different feel to it, that sort of stuff. That innovation is what makes the indie team stand out from everybody else, and that's what publishers look for. Right.
0: Yeah. There's, there's definitely uh, yeah, that the finding a voice, finding a reason for 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 why your game is being made is, is going to be a difficult one. I I foresee the next five ten years with there is like this quantity problem that we're having. You know, there's so many. I was just talking about this. Um, with the previous guests that, you know, with entertainment, you know, being a close cousin, there's so many streaming services now that, uh, content is king, but you know, every two Fridays or every Friday, there's always new stuff, right? So there's so much to watch where I'm constantly finding myself behind on the latest thing, uh, and uh you know uh, all these services are always looking for 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 content to fill right so there is like this quantity thing where a lot of developers can create right average right content really because the what you're asking for is average content if you're constantly asking for content to fill up your your to update your library right um, but at the same time we're we're I think the combative part to that is that there's a lot of remakes. You know, there's there's a lot of like Resident Evil, there's a lot of Metal Gear like in this era that we're taking back because those game designs are pretty solid. Now we're just updating the graphics and even then it takes 2 to 3 years, right? So it's rare I think to see that type of basically PS2 quality game with updated graphics with a new IP nowadays. New IP nowadays to do that on the first try is completely difficult like we, we you know um striking distance with Callisto protocol it is quad a right at the same time though dead space remake came out right there're ironically, uh if you guys know the history at all, right uh for the listeners and yourself, uh the Callisto protocol team were the original dev team that made you know dead mm-hmm. space. And for them to come out at the same time, it's kind of like you're being haunted by your old work, right? At least for that, that the developer. And from what I read, I haven't played either of them yet. Neither of them. Um, Dead Space was a solid game of the year, right? And they just updated the graphics, and people just said Dead Space is to- completely obliterated the Callisto, you know. Uh,
1: but that that gets disaster. back to that point. You know, these studios can look at doing remakes the same reason, same way Hollywood does. It's, it's, it's easier and it's, well, I don't want to say easier. It's still a technical challenge and they're still, you're still dealing with, like you said, you know, a year or two years of game development. But predicting the sales is easier and they can sit down and they can say, okay, look, we're, we can spend, you know, 20, 40, $50 million on this new IP or, and here's our projection for it, or we can spend that much or maybe even less on remaking an old game. And we're going to see that much more, you know, here's the progression, here's the projection for that. And then a little more, our industry is getting to the point now, you know, where we have had a solid 30, 40, 50 years of good, game development you see nintendo does it they're releasing they're remastering all the old zelda games and putting them on switch um you know atari is back in its what third iteration doing you know remaking games you're having a lot of these things that were successful on ps2 or you know some of the older platforms that are getting redone and re-released but you got to remember you know solid Metal Gear on a PS2 was still a $100 million game, probably. I mean, at least 50, probably closer to $100 to get that thing developed. That's still a load of money. And so, yes, the developers, in the case of the Callista Protocol, they are going up against their old stuff, but it's in the same sense that, you know, a lot of these games in the AAA space are going against each other. It's like, Mm -hmm. look at how much stuff got readjusted as Baldur's Gate came to launch time and they ended up moving that up like what two months maybe. And then Starfield coming out, you know, the AAA publishers knew there were going to be a competitive Q3 and Q4 on sales in that genre. At the same time you had an indie RPG come out, Sea of Stars and did I think 100, 200,000 units in the first week. So there are still plenty of opportunities out there for good games. But, you know, developers need to make sure that what they're creating is good and it stands out from everything else in some, you know, way shape or form cuz I guarantee you Sea of Stars development budget was a tiny fraction of what you know, Baldur's Gate 3 or Starfield was. So there's still opportunities. You've just got to be much smarter about it. The days of, oh, we're going to make a good game and we're going to put it on Steam and it's going to sell. That shit's dead and gone. That doesn't happen anymore. You've got to be able to think beyond that and get the marketing and everything else going for the game in order to have that success.
0: Yeah, I think he kind of touched upon it at the beginning, where the iteration part of it is is king. Like, um, if you blow everything at the beginning and now have can't keep the dev team around to iterate on the fixes, on the feedback, keep the community going. That that's usually how you know these studios are closing. And I think you know the AAA, the the bigger games are still kind of going through that cycle of bigger and better. And this is our one shot, our gamble. Uh, to see if it kind of hits, uh, and uh, it it is really foolish to to for them to keep doing that, which is very uh surprising, uh, given given how many all the lessons learned and the avenues we can go about marketing and 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 doing these things, um, it I wonder. I wonder why exactly. I, I I think it's a lot of um, what I'm noticing in the history is like w- with these remakes, with these newer games, um, with the return to single player games, um, being being kind of trending again. There's like a changing of guards. It feels like uh, to me, right? There there's still remnants of like bigger and better triple a experience i think everybody still kind of want that uh if they can do it right I, I think there's only a few studios that can almost guarantee their own success and a lot of it's like the sony studios to be honest a lot of the sony first parties publishers somehow are able to handle that formula better than most other publishers uh sony and nintendo i would say <laughs>
1: nintendo has it the best Nintendo's right. his own beast they're gonna his keep own- doing what they're doing and they're going to be successful at it but it's hard to put them against their other- budget is
0: nowhere the same as yeah like like yeah. something like naughty dog or or god of war right these budgets have been ballooning to 200 million mm-hmm. to almost 300 now like I think gta coming out or rumored to be coming out next year is like upwards of half a billion or something at this point
1: well i mean the last one or was it there was something i read it was either the last red dead or the last gta you know that was a six month cycle 200 million dollars plus and that was the last version not this one
0: so it's much more but you know those are the type of developers that can almost not to say that they're not putting a lot of work into it, but they have an idea that they can, at least if it's good, most people will, because GTA itself have been, how many copies have they sold by now? A hundred plus well, million
1: That copies. and the fact that all the shark cards and the post-launch content DLC stuff, that's microtransactions have absolutely exploded that game for years. But Exploded
0: yeah. that game, extended that game's shelf life. Um, more impressively than any other game. Uh, And that's a single player experience mostly. And then they tagged on the multiplayer, um, which have uh, something recently they found and stumbled upon, right? Um, at least in their franchise. And all these clones like Saint's Roll with Volition kind of closing down, they have outlasted everybody. So now they become the de facto open world GTA experience. (laughs) Uh, for anyone that likes that type of thing Uh, nobody else is competing against them anymore Um, but again that that's like a very selected few and a lot of that i feel the heads of those studios are the same right um same types of people that are sticking together the the recreation of those successes have diminished greatly like you don't hear too much of a new developer having the beginnings of a gta success as
1: well you do but they're not coming out of the gate making a gta right i met with an investor one of the investment firms that i know we were at a conference we were out at a party or dinner or something and i asked him i said what what are you actually looking for When, when you go and you're looking for a team to invest in what is it you're really looking for?" And he said, it's not the, it's not as much the game. It's not even as much the team. He said, I want to find that person who's leading a group that came from a successful AAA game. And they just got pissed off and said, I don't like it here. I'm going to do it myself. And they were angry enough to do something new. And so a lot of you know the big teams the up and coming teams come out of bigger teams but they end up doing something initially that's usually in that triple i double a stage first and then they build up from there and it's it's not like an overnight thing i mean the, that gets back to the whole the industry's gotten big enough you know 15 20 years ago when I was doing this, yes, you could have a team walk out and say, hey, I just finished Diablo, the Blizzard, and now we're going to do a different kind of action RPG and you would have big old giant contracts thrown at them with nothing but a paper pitch. Uh, The first project that I sold for Starbreeze, there was no playable demo. And this was, again, like 15, 20, 25 years ago. They It was nothing but a a mirrored cube bouncing down a hallway in real time. And this was like pre the days of unity and unreal, basically owning the engine space that from a technological standpoint at the time was so groundbreaking that the publisher was like, yes, we'll figure out the game that we're going to stack on this. That's the part of the industry that has fallen by the wayside. And, you know, when you've got these budgets that are ballooning up into the hundreds of millions of dollars, that's why these big publishers can't afford to really change up that formula that much because right now what they've got is very, you know, easy to predict. It's like how much difference, truth difference was there from gameplay-wise between GTA 3, 4, and 5? None. You're still in a giant, the the world's got bigger, the locations changed. The stories got longer, but they were still the same game. Am I wrong?
0: I know. I think you're right. I think they just expanded
1: what worked. Yeah. And that's what, and and that's it. It's like, that's why we see Madden come out every single year. FIFA come out every single year. You know, it's expansion of what's working. That's safe. You know, you're not going to see a publisher go out and drop $200 million on a game that is completely out of right field. But you will see a publisher come out, you know, on the indie side and drop to even $20 million on something that's that because they're willing to take that risk and they're willing to, you know, roll with it a little bit and, and have that faith that something's going to be different. That's why I always explain to investors and folks outside of the industry, because they're like, oh, you know, did you work on Madden? I'm like, no, I have never worked on a Madden. I have spent 25 years on the indie side of these games. It's like, But when you look at the industry, it's an iceberg. And the stuff you see above the water is your, you know, Sony, Activision, EA, Ubisoft, that. But underneath that, there's this giant, vast world of indie games out there that are making, you know, really good money. It's one of my favorite examples is Coffee Stink. You know they started out with GOAT simulator. And the first time my son showed me that, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. I was like, they literally just took a physics engine and some Tony Hawk Pro Skater mechanics and dropped goats in it. And they're selling millions of units. But that took that no pub no big publisher would have jumped on the title. It was just too far out there. But they had huge success with it. And then they went from being developer to okay, we're going to be self-publishing our titles continued to have success, and then they're like, okay, we're going to start publishing other developers' titles. They're leaning out and they're trying to help other developers at that point. And it goes and goes and goes up until they get you know, bought by Embracer or whoever, you know, whichever one of these super conglomerates ended up buying them. But that's the evolution that we see from the indie side and from the people that are really, really making changes and really, really doing cool stuff until it gets to the point where you know, look at how long it took Day Z to turn into PUBG and then Fortnite after that. So, really long, winding answer to the part of you're not going to see the, the big budget games are still going to continue to come out. There's still going to be a market for them. They're not going to evolve that much. But, you know, a lot of the evolution and a lot of the really, really cool stuff is coming from these teams that leave those AAA studios and go, we want to do something different. Mm.
0: There's a. Um... I think one of the things that I think would be helpful uh, to understand is like for the publisher side, you know, it's equally as difficult for them to kind of like put where the money, I mean, it's their money, right? And there's so much assumptions and trust that has to be established, right? At the very beginning, basically looking at nothing, right? Just Empty promises at best, right? Uh, until until you give in the years, given the money, to produce something that gives you even more buy-in to continue with the development of whatever said project. Um, like you said, the one of the at least for the like one high end of the spectrum, right? You have a team that supposedly had prior success, right? They had come with a resume and. And I'm still actually pretty surprised that that works, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because, because, you know, there's so much that changes when you leave one company to another. You know, you're always, you're never doing the same thing, right? You know, managing a business requires you to step in multiple roles for the business to keep running, right? So if you're a lead designer from one place, you're not going to be a, continue to be a lead designer of another place, right? As a co-founder, there's more responsibility, more things that takes your attention from the game itself. And I'm just always impressed that these new teams that migrate to form a new company. And just like you said, this is happening millions kind of thrown at them uh, with a paper pitch mostly. And I can often tell (laughs) how, my probability of success is measured by what did they do immediately after getting that finance? And a lot of times I see yeah. them getting these fancy buildings. Yes. You know, getting the highest salary pla uh workers ever, right? Um having you know hawaiian tuesdays in the bahamas
1: <laughs> you know what i mean like they're just spending Th- those so are the ones that it's that easy been. to say okay this is not gonna last this yeah
0: is. yeah but a lot of them i feel do fall into that because millions of money at first is ex- it's super exciting right it's like we made it like to a lot a lot of i think the uh perception of getting finance is that they equate it to as if they sold the game to that type of success right yeah. so, so they spend it the same is what i see a lot in the last couple years especially like, like covid i know right now we're in like this like inflation period right so a lot of that have kind of ceased and kind of re- are reversing but during covid so many anybody with a heartbeat was getting like this insane amount of investment, right? Well, and I think that's because were we
1: were making well. so much money in this industry. Yeah. It's like we had, it was COVID as horrible as it was. And, you know, especially to other industries, not even on the personal level, you know, our industry exploded. I was having conversations with publishers three months into lockdown and they're going, Jay, we've quadrupled sales. And I'm like, what have you done different? Well, have you changed the marketing? They're like, no, you don't understand. We've done nothing different. It's just there's this many more people buying games. And it absolutely, you know, we had folks from movies and television, especially art animation studios coming into our industry, because obviously movies were in television wasn't being made at the time. And they were coming to games it's like, well, they already knew how to use Unreal because that's what they're using on the TV shows anyway. And, you know, that they were typically more expensive than game dev studios. But, you know, that upped the bar in terms of quality level. But, you know, we simply I have a, a good friend who works for one of the online, the casual slot machine, on mobile, mobile gambling, not like the betting on sports ticker stuff, but you know, just mobile slot machine games. Called me one day and he goes, Did y'all just get a of those things called the, the checks we got from the government to I forget what they were. He goes Did y'all uh, just get uh, one st-
0: stimulus not stimulus.
1: Um yeah 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 stimulus check he goes did y'all I just get a stimulus check and I'm yeah. like I don't know I haven't looked at my bank account this morning and I wouldn't check you know I was like yeah 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 like on the personal level it's like yeah right, we just yeah. got you know whatever it was I was like, why? And he said, well, we understand our market very much because, you know, mobile games, it's like mobile games are all a spreadsheet anyway. Yeah. And he said, we just had our, you know, incoming revenue just shot through the roof mm-hmm. like Tuesday morning. And we have no idea why. And they weren't based in the US. Mm-hmm. And he goes, now I understand. These people got their stimulus checks and they chunked it into games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had, all the success of Animal Crossing, and that spurred this whole new wave of life sim, cozy games. We had so many eyes on us because our industry was absolutely printing money, you know, because people didn't have anything else to do, really. And so we did see everybody. But now, as an aftershock of that, we've got this whole Embracer debacle where... You know, they went and bought everybody for whatever. I mean, I, <laughs> that first GDC back from the pandemic, a friend of mine at Embracer, we were literally having lunch and we were talking about a dev studio. And he goes, I love their work. I, was like, I think you own them. And he's like, no. And we had to go on Wikipedia to figure out if that studio was actually owned by Embracer because Embracer has bought so much stuff yeah. that even people at Embracer didn't know who owned what. Anymore, and now we're seeing all of that. You know, I'm not going to say fall apart, but you know, studio closings and you know, everything getting shut down, projects getting canceled, left and right. Um, there's a backlash on that coming now, but we still have a very healthy industry. You know, simply because we've got this many more people. People didn't stop playing. The people that didn't play games before the pandemic didn't stop playing games You know, after the pandemic. They might have less time. They may not be buying as much, but they're still there and they're still playing. So we're in a bit of a morning after phase, for lack of a better word. But there's still a lot of good stuff going on out there. But yeah. Even those studios, paper pitches are very, very rare now. Even those big studios that are coming in, you know, even those new studios that are coming from bigger, or more established studios, they're still having to show a demo before they get proper funding.
0: Yeah, I do see that new gamers introduced into the ecosystem, starting with like very... uh Easy mobile games or even Fortnite, really, uh, are 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 digging to this rich history of gaming, um, and and going through from from beginner to hardcore. uh Since like there has been, I think in, in media and sports, celebrities are more embracing of like, yeah, I play this, I play that, I love this and that. It's like is it becoming more like how we talk about comics in Marvel movies, right? Mm-hmm. It's becoming it's the same people, essentially. Uh which is great. And I do agree with you. Yeah, there is even though we're going through inflation, I think if anything, right now, at least in this period, there is a cutback from that, you know, insane growth that we were kind of overzealous about, right? I mean, you go on LinkedIn, you see that <laughs> that 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 hashtag that little green profile pic it's becoming kind of like a mark <laughs> it
1: is and it sucks yeah. you know, because and i'll be blunt you know the whole embracer thing pissed me off you know which one to no end
0: which one sorry
1: the, when that. when the ceo went on and and then he at this the earnings call right, 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 and right. he ranted and raved about not getting this deal and it just caused all this kerfuffle level to come out. I feel very strongly that if you're going to, you know, have growth like that and you're going to go out and spend your money to buy that many studios, you're now responsible for the people at those studios, for their families, you know, you came in and bought them. Now you're in charge. It's, it angers me to no end to see these companies come in and do that and then go, oh, okay, well, we're going to lay everybody off. It's like, you know, that's shitty,
0: yeah. you know, and, and, and I there, don't believe in it.
1: Is there any truth?
0: I heard this from an investment friend and maybe you have more insight to it just understand the business of it all is there like a use it or lose it type of mentality with investment money that
1: yeah there is very much so can you explain
0: that a bit more so every quarter there's there's an amount that has to be spent otherwise it gets retracted from
1: well the first thing that you have to realize and even i didn't realize this until a couple of years ago nobody's playing with their own money yeah, I don't know who is actually financing all this stuff, but it yeah. could be some shadow government, for all I know. Yeah. Um, let me just—we'll just go ahead and start some conspiracy theories. On um, investors and VCs are typically playing with the money from other investors and VCs, right? Which are then in turn playing with money from other, and 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 it goes, you know, down this whole rabbit hole, and so even you know the, the the normal realization is okay i got bought i have an objective to these people who bought us to actually turn a revenue turn a profit at sometimes what you don't realize is those people who bought you are also under an obligation to turn a profit to you know some companies and and it's, uh, to some body person other firm whatever it has and so it creates this cascading effect and so, yes, they come in, we'll say a hypothetical venture capital, they have $100 million. They're going to go and spend all of that within a couple of years to you know get everything up and going and to invest in games or projects or companies or what have you. But then they've got to start seeing a return. If they don't, then people are starting to get angry down the line. And as long as you're continuing to acquire stuff, that is good. And let me be blunt then that I don't agree with the majority of the way that these things are done. Um, but that's what happens, you know, as long as you're growing, it's fine. The minute you stop growing, then you have a problem. And so it always just comes down to, you know the firm and and, and how they're going about, and, and a lot of these firms are putting in a whole hell of a lot more than $100 million um, in terms of their funding. I mean, we've got governments now that are putting up $10, $20 million funds for, because they looked around during the pandemic and went, oh, my God, maybe we should invest in these games things because people seem to play them a lot. Um, but it's it, it's it's frustrating to me to to see that happen. And now to sit around and see folks that i know who run great studios and they're just like getting shut down on i'm sure there's some kind of calculation going on behind the scenes somewhere but it it seems like a whim this industry should be extremely anger angry that volition got shut down and i will say that point blank you know that is a studio that started with descent yeah Descent came out when I was in high school or college. I mean, that is a very longstanding studio who consistently did great things. And now they're gone to clear the balance on some investment spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. And that's, that's not right. And, yeah. and I know several of these companies, that are not necessarily under the embracer, but several companies... You know, at Gamescom that I met with who took investment. And one of them was asked, what, would, what advice would you give to companies that are looking to be acquired? And the owner said, point blank, ask yourself why. Because if you don't need it, don't take it. And because they're seeing the backlash now, once you sell your company, you're not in charge anymore. Somebody wants to shut you down, they can shut you down. You know, you've got publisher Gearbox, great example. You know, one of their publishing directors got let go a couple of weeks ago. They may be sold off to somebody completely different. And it is completely within Embracer's rights to look at them and say, well, you can't publish games anymore. Now you're just a dev house again. You're not in charge. You're not in control of your own destiny mm. anymore. I've had, you know, owners of some of these companies look at me and say, I had to do it over again. I would not have sold. It. Yeah. Because you get purchased because you're doing well. Yeah. And the minute you're purchased, you're not in charge anymore. And it doesn't matter if you're doing well. You could be cash positive across the whole board. But if, you know, somebody owns 200 companies and they're told they have to cut 25% of them. Yeah. You may or may not make it. Um, and it, yeah. It it just it's it's one of those things that when the VCs and yes, they do put in a good amount of of money that is you know needed to establish growth and to create new ideas and new IPs and also there is a good to it. But when it's taken to excess is when it gets so because we work with we scout for several investment firms, but they are investment firms that you know. We vetted that I trust and that have, you know, they're not brand new to the industry and we're going to save games. They they understand what the industry is like and they bring more to the table than just a check, you know, so they're giving insights and they're giving, you know, mentorship and they're helping these studios along. And that's a good investor, you know, is the ones that come in and they're like, hey, we're going to buy your studio for $200 million. Well, I mean, unless you're just looking to retire. You have to be really, really careful before you take that money.
0: Yeah, I I think that message alone is not repeated enough. I I think the mentality of getting finance being, to a lot of people, even though they don't really analyze it as that, an an end goal, right? It's like, we made it, you know, our, 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 our company got finance, we can finally do all the things that we've always wanted to do. But quickly finding out, oh wait, we gotta get approved for that. <laughs> yep. And yep. uh and I yeah, it, it is uh it is a weird period because there's a lot of new money being pumped in the industry that don't really have um as much, how do I say, uh ties to the industry itself whether they don't mm-hmm. you know they don't grow up playing games they don't understand they don't even respect it right it, it's just like you said a a box and excel sheet for them uh it's just another thing and to them if they need to eliminate they do so you know th- that's where the new money kind of being invested and in, in asking for investment money is a scary period for me uh personally you know looking at that route looking to kind of make something on my own and won't because to me it feels like as soon as that happens and the fun of it kind of stops in a way, uh the fun of making a game, you know, to make decisions and it being an art of iteration, like you said, being the key word, can you really put a limit, you know, <laughs> to a through two years, three years, if you're still trying to figure it out, right?
1: It will well that that's it, Yeah. The biggest problem that I see from investors that come into the industry from somewhere else, and they come in from all over the place, is they don't understand how games are made. You know, say, you know, I know a firm that was run by an engineer, like from not a game engineer, like an engineer engineer, building shit engineer, and couldn't understand why the games weren't, you know, they had said we're going to spend this much money. It's going to take two years to make the game, but a year and a half in, they're nowhere close to having a game, and it's not fitting into the, you know, the project management stuff. And they're looking at it, and I'm like, it's because you're not making software to run traffic lights. Yeah, you're making a game. You know, with any other kind of software that you're making, you understand what has to be done, what sections have to be completed, and yeah, you can put it in a very nice fancy project management sheet with games you have to find the fun yeah that's not necessarily going to fit within a two week sprint you know th- that may be something that it takes years to get right mm-hmm. and there's a lot of folks coming in, like you said, that new money coming in that don't understand that. And they're like, no, 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 This The development team said this was the game that was going to be done in two years. And it's like, well, yeah, you can get that game done in two years, yeah. but it might suck I
0: until called, you call duty ships every two years. And
1: it's a yeah. And out. how much innovation is in that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that that's where, when we're looking at investment firms on, on my consulting firm side, I always want to make sure that companies that we're going to work with understand the space. You know, they they don't necessarily need to have grown up playing games, but they need to understand how games are made and what separates a good one from a bad one. Because if they don't, the whole relationship is going to get off on the wrong foot because they're not going to have the right expectations. Um, And then I've got this thing put up on the other screen that a minute ago, when we were talking about how, you know, everybody's playing games now, it's not that they're playing games with celebrities and things like that. It's that they're okay to talk about it Hmm. because for years you couldn't really, you know, if you were a gamer, you didn't really, especially if you were a sports celebrity, because that's when it was like, oh my God, what do you mean? You're not out practicing football or basketball for hours. You're playing, you know, on the Nintendo. Mm -hmm. They were still playing. One of my favorite pictures is from the San Diego. I guess they were San Antonio Spurs at the time. After they won the 1999 NBA championship, there's a picture of all of them on their private plane. And every single one of them has a laptop out and they're playing StarCraft. Mm -hmm. It's always been there, but now it's okay to talk about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're, we're, we're definitely, um, I feel like it's so popular now. Everyone's kind of doing it. Um, which, which also means, you know, potentially a lot of more game developers, newer ideas. Like in, in terms of replenishing talent, uh, I feel our industry especially is outpacing a lot of other uh, industries of, of new blood, new ideas, new people. Um, but the, I, I do agree the immaturity is still with the new money. Right, because a lot of the new money is from old people, well, older people that didn't grow up this way, right? Uh, that's that's how I see. it. So I think it, it's going to be a matter of time where this generation becomes the the man with the money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to finally correct itself, and you know, it'll probably take another decade, I think. Um, uh, it'll probably
1: take even more than that.
0: Probably more than that, yeah. But I feel like eventually we'll get there to that point. We'll like, yeah. There's actually gamer investors uh, that understands and respects the art more patient with it uh trusting the process right
1: and and to be clear, those companies exist now, yes I mean there are plenty of firms out there that that do get it do understand it they are cultivating and investing you know in the right way. there's publishers that are run you know the very same way yeah it's just you still also have a lot of the ones that don't you got to find that don't completely get it yeah. but yeah, i mean I, I i think if anything over the last 6 weeks something that you know the industry as a whole should be extremely angry about is that a studio like volition yeah got closed
0: yeah it is a big one for sure it feels like 30 years uh, mm-hmm. history a lot of people from that studio uh i think long termers really finally out of job because of Something that changed the last two years, right? It's kind of crazy. Um. Well, you know, uh, let's end it on a good note. <laughs> you know, we hit the hour mark. You know, this is the part where I shut up and and hand the mic over to you to kind of promote. This will be today. Will be the twenty sixth, right? Uh, for those who are listening. Yes. What can the good people do to kind of find you and and learn more? More things about
1: the so today's the first day of our 15th conference. You can go if you still want to grab a ticket, you can go to indie game business.com or indiegame.business or basically just search indie game business. You'll get put in the right direction. Um you can do meetings. You can, I mean, the tickets for to use the meeting system is is 60, 70 bucks at this point. Still affordable. But here's my one rule always: if you're a developer you've got a playable demo and you can't afford a ticket to one of our events, reach out to me directly. I'll hook you up. I'll give you a ticket. Not a problem. I don't mind at all. That's why we do this. But the biggest thing is even if you can't make it all of our talks, Q and A's panel sessions, they're all hundred percent free and they're all on our YouTube page. So you can tune in right now. And if we're live, it's going on, it'll be this way tomorrow too. But if you miss anything, just go to our YouTube page. It's all there and it's in handy little playlists as well of if you want to learn about how to get published, if you want to learn about marketing, legal aspects of the industry, anything business, IP, marketing related, it's all right there. You don't have to pay a dime for it. These are experts in the industry. Um, It's a wonderful resource that we love for people to know. Obviously, if you, you know, if, if you want to support the consumer, not the consumer, but the actual side of the company that makes money, uh, that's our consulting firm. And we do a whole lot of stuff for developers and publishers there. But the most important thing right now is really letting people know that, you know, there are ways to learn about this side of the industry that you probably don't know about. And that's, you know... With our YouTube page, with our free online classes, we've got classes on how to do a pitch deck, how to pitch to publishers, um, what to look for, and how to evaluate publisher contracts and publishers. So make sure you're getting the right partner for you. Um, And then you can hop on our Discord. It's just discord.gg slash indie game business. And we've got close to... Six thousand people on there now. Everybody from developers just coming out of school, uh up to executives at some of these publishing companies around the world. Uh you can ask any sort of question you want in there and you're gonna get really, really good answers from really smart people.
0: We well, there you go, people. After listening to this podcast, go over, check out the stream, learn some more. Uh Jay, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. Let's keep in contact. Hey, uh not, let's not wait for another COVID to talk to each other again
1: <laughs> i am wholeheartedly in agreement
0: <laughs> all right man thanks guys see y'all hello everybody brandon here i want to talk to you today about something very special we've been on this wild ride together haven't we from my early days as a senior employee feeling a bit lost, all the way to leading multiple studios, transitioning to smaller indie teams and to the mobile industry, and now running my own game studio for the last six years. Throughout this time, you've been here listening and learning along with me, sharing this never-ending journey of discovery. This year, I'm kind of on this quest of meeting serial studio founders, discussing acquisitions, or exploring what it takes to grow a studio to over 100 developers. I've always tried to find an exciting topic to delve into. And every year is a little different. The focus is a little different because that's where I am in my career currently. And I want to be able to share what I'm learning with you guys. So I've always been to dedicate to asking the tough questions, bringing you insightful answers from industry leaders and experts. And now I want to share with you how I'm applying these answers to my own journey. This is why I'm excited to announce that for just $1.99 per month, You can now subscribe to our exclusive content series. These bonus episodes will give you a deeper look into my personal experiences and how I'm putting into practice what our esteemed guests are preaching. It's more of a personal side of the journey that I hope will show you that we're all in this together and we're all continuously learning. Whether you're a game developer, studio founder, or just a passionate gamer, there's something in it for everyone. By subscribing, not only will you gain access to this exclusive content, but you'll also be, be supporting the ongoing production of the regular programming. It helps keep the lights on and ensures that I can continue bringing you top quality content and insight into the world of game development. The links to subscribe are in the description. Your support means the world to me and helps me keep doing what I love, sharing this journey with you. So show some love, hit that subscribe button, and let's continue this adventure together. Thank you all for your continued support. And as always, stay tuned for more exciting content. Until next time, this is Brandon, signing off.